to None Dare Call It Ordinary, a podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the unidentified and yet still uninteresting Brent. <laughs> I think I'm, that's perfect. Uninteresting. I prefer deprecating humor to self-deprecating humor. Right. And so I always appreciate the opportunity to do so. Well, I really do appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad. I'm always, you make me want to be a better adjective slinger, <laughs> an adjective mongerer, if you will. And it's not just you and me today. We've got a special guest. It's Forrest! Howdy! What's crackalacking, yo? Yeah, Forrest, Forrest is our uh, filmmaker friend that we uh, always talk about. Uh, so I guess officially we no longer have to say our filmmaker friend anymore. No, we can we, just use I'll his probably name. still do it out of habit, but he has been unveiled. Unveiled. Yeah, I didn't want to be unveiled for a very long time because um, I told you guys that I wanted to stay away from politics and all that on the podcast. And you guys said, oh, no, we're just doing weird supernatural things. And then you did the Russia story, like immediately. <laughs> so uh, my my sus- my suspicions were right. You were right. Yeah, we we were trying to lure you into a false sense of security. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you could, so go go to the YouTube page. Type in Forrest Rice and type in "In the Penal Colony." You'll actually see uh, Forrest's first film that he put on YouTube, and you'll see me and Dylan yeah. as stars. Yeah, I, um, not the stars, but I believe I got <laughs> my in role it. in that because I look exactly like Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> you could see that, yeah, especially especially at the time, especially at the time. Yeah, not yeah, so definitely. I still, I mean, right now it's pretty. Close, but. You know, the, yeah, you can see this, the similarity for sure. But yeah, but we also want to mention that Forrest has uh, just released his latest film. It's a short film called The Burrow. You can actually find it on our website, mm-hmm. uh, nondarecalledordinary.com, which is now very fancy looking. Thank you to Squarespace. That's not an official endorsement. We just use it. So you no longer have to look at my web development skills. You can look <laughs> at something that actually looks like a competent human being and or machine put it together. But yeah, if you go on there, you'll be able to find uh, his latest. Um, And if you go on YouTube or Vimeo and search Forrest Rice, you'll be able to find the rest of his wonderful, wonderful work. That's right. Because the borough is stop motion. It's not ordinary. So I dare (laughs) anyone to call it ordinary. Yeah, definitely not. That's why we feel it's perfectly possible to discuss it um, on our podcast and on our website. So what? Okay, so we're done with sedevacantism, cancer quackeries way back there, Russian investigation. So what are we talking about today, Dylan? Well, I thought you would never ask, Brett. And the, the this is the reason we have Forrest as a special guest. He is the one. He brought this to our attention. We're going to be talking about the anti-gravity propulsion systems of UFOs. <laughs> um, yeah, you heard it right. We're not talking about... We're going to talk a little bit about some abduction reports, but we don't want to get into that historical science. This is all about the observational science of the truly ahead of his time author, Paul Potter. And, you know, how did you discover this trove of engineering for us? Oh, well, you know, I was perusing through the metaphysical mumbo jumbo nonsense section (laughs) and, you know, I came across this. So, yeah, it's called Anti-Gravity Propulsion Dynamics by Paul Potter, Ph.D. Oh, wait. No, no PhD, just Paul Potter. Sorry. Yeah, just him. Just him. And uh, I started flipping through it and I fell in love, I got to say, because it's just it's an entire like textbook on how UFOs purportedly work. And uh, it's got a whole bunch of diagrams and drawings and immense detail. And it just I loved it. I really did. (laughs) And it's all true. It's all true. It's all true. That's the main part, too. (laughs) I, I only like true things. 
So. Only true things on this podcast. Do you want to go into the uh, how it actually has like a million different titles too? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. So just to kind of yeah. get started. So again, the book we have, and I'm just going to, because there are a million titles this book has. The copy we have is Anti-Gravity Propulsion Dynamics, UFOs and Gravitational Manipulation. That's kind of the official title. It's right here on the cover of the book. But then you lift the cover off and you get a different title just right off the bat. You know, this the first page where they call it inside UFO propulsion dynamics, UFOs and gravitational manipulation. I like the cover title better, but he also has what I thought was a second book this whole time. And that book is called gravitational manipulation of domed craft. And that came out originally in 2008, but it turns out it's the exact same book. <laughs> it's I, cause I discovered, I looked at the, the table of contents for both of these and yeah, it's exactly the same. So just one, if you go to the publisher, if you go to the um, people selling this, it's uh, Adventures Unlimited Press. They actually sell both books <laughs> on there, but they are the same book. To let all of our listeners know, you only need one of them. So someone did try to point this out on Amazon.com, where you'll find it as three reviews. The third one gives it four out of a possible five stars and says, in all caps, this book was published in about 2009. <laughs> So, well, I mean, 2008 <laughs> is kind of close, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of accurate. Yeah, but what, what's the reason for the four stars? Um, I mean, I don't know. I just think, you know, I think it's because it would have been five stars because of just the general information contained in the book, but because they got the date wrong, that's what knocked <laughs> okay. it down to four stars. I, that's, that's my, that's, that's my I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's no Pope Michael book, but that, you know, that's. What is? Yeah, I think maybe it was that might that actually might be why it got four stars instead. This book was not written by Pope Michael, uh, <laughs> so it therefore cannot give us an accurate accounting of our alien overlords. Well, before we get into uh, the book, in the spirit of Potter's intent, I think we'd better come forward and assure Mr. Potter that we're not violating his special copyright directions, which state no portion of this study is permitted to be used under any circumstances for the purpose of warmongery. <laughs> Jesus, what does he think we are? A bunch of neocons? Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, aren't we? <laughs> Speaking of neocons, there's a preemptive statement. Oh, yeah. The, preemptive. Uh, preemptive. I like that. Preemptive. He, he yeah, knows yeah. who he's talking to. Where he states, I have endeavored to honor and validate the principles presented in this study very vigorously, as the reader will note from the voluminous research notes presented at the end of the book. However, as with any new and radical departure from the old scientific beliefs, I fully expect that many of its conclusions will step on the toes, quote-unquote, of some scientific egos. I will therefore say here, in this study's defense, that I present this study of energy dynamics with the utmost honesty and declare that whosoever deigns to derogate any part of it in a non-constructive way will do so only in proportion to their own self-aggrandizing egotism and dilettante ignorance of the broadest possible acknowledgement of the great multiplicity of physical, astrophysical, electrochemical, aerodynamical, and electronic engineering principles, cosmological dynamics, and of density gradient mechanics presented in this study. Wow. Step on some toes of some scientific egos. Well, I have an ego because I have a bachelor's degree in science. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, I, I yeah, mean, Brent majored in science. I, I just, it was just science. That's it. Just all of them. 
Capital S, guys. See, I got my bachelor. I got my bachelor's degree in reason, Uh, so I'm definitely also a little upset about this. What are you talking about? This book is all true. You said it yourself. I'm not saying it's false. I'm just saying the the key is just as long as we're not neocons. That's that's all that really matters. Uh, Too late. This is a neocon podcast. Yep. All of us. Unfortunately. Actually, we're going to be sponsored by the Center for the New American Century. That's actually going to be our sponsor. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, we're really aiming <laughs> really aiming for that sponsorship. And now, uh, now a word from our sport, Richard sponsors, uh, Robert Kagan and William Crystal, and David Frum. They're all here to talk about. They're all here to go on their and Richard uh, Pearl. Um, Trump derangement syndrome um, for a minute here. Let's hear what they have to say now. <laughs> yeah, this is actually um, this is all that's left with the Weekly Standard. Uh, the, the magazine had the shutter, but they still have this podcast. But in, in all seriousness, this does bring up a problem about the contents of this book and how we're going to approach it. I've got philosophy, neuroscience, psychology degree. Brent has that. It's not just science. It's environmental science. And Forrest has no degree at all. He's just some artist. Yeah. So we are indeed dilettantes in relation <laughs> to the principles involved in physics. It's true. We're going to admit it. Our egos notwithstanding. So how can we respond to that component without simply doing so in proportion to our own ignorance and egotism? (laughs) How do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's easy. We just run our mouths and jump right in. Perfect. Oh, okay. Cool. So so that's that's that. So yeah, so um, I guess we'll start in the beginning. So everybody open your books. Open the page. Yeah, I hope everyone's following along in their own copy. So the beginning of the book is largely about the source of information from which Potter derived his quote-unquote study. But before he goes into any of that, Potter is quick to tell us in exacting and minute detail how the Roswell incident all went down, in this case, quite literally. He writes, That UFO craft was flying through a heavy storm and got struck by a lightning bolt that caused its eternal working fluid to explode, which spilt open the craft's lower hull section. The craft lost its main propulsion drive and careened groundward, only to rise up again and coast back into the air by using the gravitational buoyancy it still had imbued into its structure. But that craft with a gaping hole in the side of its hull Uh. (laughs) and with the contents of its hull on fire was, for all intents and purposes, a lame duck. (laughs) The members of the four being crew that survived the initial mid-air explosion were probably (laughs) trying to make for White Sands military base in order to seek medical help. But the alien crew, or the alien buoyancy, only kept the UFO in the air for another three miles or so, and the craft came down at a location on a heading toward White Sands, a short distance from Roswell. Or a weather balloon fell to the ground. Mm. No. (laughs) I I don't know of any weather balloons that have gravitational buoyancy imbued in their structure. (laughs) That's a good point. I think you missed that crucial (laughs) detail here. Yeah, yeah, that is a very crucial detail. So here is uh, Potter assures us that this is a purely scientific study and that he doesn't want us to misconstrue any of its content as woo-woo. In reference to certain seemingly miraculous technological features of the Roswell UFO's seemingly invisible engines, he says, That's not to say that the ETs had developed some depth magical arts that render their engines invisible when it's not in use. Far from it. In fact, I'm going to say that they did develop some deaf magical arts, frankly. I think. <laughs> no. This I is scientific. This is, this is this is a materialist yeah, paradigm. Ma- this is, you can't cross worlds here. Magic or science. Nah, man. Those aliens are all witches. Witches and warlocks, <laughs> no, as far as I'm science. concerned. This is science. This is real. The problem with aliens is that they're satanic. Well, that might be. But that's real also. Like Merlin and Bigfoot. Same thing. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Brent knows what I'm talking about. 
All right. In fact, Potter's study takes place on the frontiers of modern physics. Quote, the reader will observe as this study progresses that black hole physics and UFO physics are closely allied, which in itself is a very new discovery and is one that has never before been openly discussed among physicists. One has to wonder why this is never openly discussed among physicists. What do you guys think? I think it's obvious. All physicists are aliens. So See, I'm going, solved. I I like that hypothesis, but I'm going with the one that all physicists are just dumb. <laughs> I think that's the simplest. That is the simplest. It's a bunch of dummies. That is Occam's razor applied to uh, why that would Although be. Because, because the physicists are stupid, it would have to be Occam's safety scissors. <laughs> I think it's what we'd have to use. The plastic scissors. Don't want any of those physicists getting hurt. <laughs> All right. So Potter has his own suspicions as to why such things aren't openly discussed. The real culprit? In his introduction, he places the blame on skeptics and scaremongers who, quote, ever subsist, though. For I believe everyone has their task to do in this theater called Earth, and they have great value unto themselves to dampen down the general public's inquisitiveness and in keeping the general public misinformed. So all that sarcastically understood, it is hardly surprising that the term UFO in the mind of physicists who worry over their credibility and more especially over their future funding carries with it a certain amount of scorn and derision, which might weigh down any research proposals with enough supra-gravity to prevent UFO propulsion from ever getting off the ground. So, a couple things. One, he talked about warmongery. He should have also talked about scaremongering, too, yep. and how you can't use this book to scaremonger. But also, you know, I don't know about his physics, but his puns are on point. I, that was, I was pretty impressed. It's, 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 I, I really enjoyed it. It's almost that. at Pope level. Almost, but. almost, yeah, almost, almost Pope, Pope John the twenty third level. Almost, almost. <laughs> he doesn't have the Holy Spirit <laughs> like all the popes. <laughs> I do also want to mention that ground is uh, capitalized too, so it's like <laughs> oh, perfect. So it's even fancier. It's kind of a presidential move on for like, making sure that uh, <laughs> well, that there's I emphasis think if he was on the, the president. Word. It would be in all caps though. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So it's not it's not not full troll mode yet. All right. So <laughs> even though Potter is a self-described expert in physics, astrophysics, electrochemistry, aerodynamics, electronic engineering, cosmological dynamics, and density gradient mechanics, he does have some humility. Back to chapter one, he writes, My discoveries, though, offer just a small cornerstone towards scientific advancement, and it would be naive of me not to suggest that greater scientific minds, once they latch onto the more detailed analysis of extraterrestrial technology, as it becomes more available through industrial enterprise, will no doubt want to progress more openly their commercialization of extraterrestrial technology through leaps and bounds. And warmongering. Oh, God, you so. know they want to. You know they want to do it. <laughs> yeah. So we've got warmongering covered. I suggested earlier that scaremongering needs to be added, but let's just be safe. Any kind of mongering. You shouldn't use this book to do any kind of mongering. You know those fishmongers. They want to get their slippery scale covered hands on this UFO tech. And just get their nets all and just take all the fish that way. You know they want to do it. Yeah, no mongering at all. I think, in fact, No it's just mongering. No mongering. Although, it, there's a lot of mongering in Enterprise. So, I guess that's the problem. Because he is saying yeah. that... He well, is saying that... It's going to be more and more available through industrial enterprise. So there's got to be some kind of mongering. Maybe, maybe we have to become like communists first. I don't know if that is <laughs> like communist what if, enterprise mongering. What if at Elon that point? Musk gets a hold of it, you know, and it'll become like uh, simulation theory mongering and things like that. So <laughs> yeah, it, only simulated mongering. <laughs> 
simulated mongering. Well, I guess it's all simulated mongering, isn't it? In the end. Oh, if we live in the simulation, it's fine. And this is just we're going to we're going to have to figure this out. We're going to have to do the uh, conceptual analysis of mongering later. Uh, It'll just bog us down. In that case, just send this book to Paul Wolfowitz then, because might as well. well. He would love it. All right. It's on his nightstand. So getting back, getting back to the book. What do you think are the main sources from which Potter derives his claims? Firsthand access to alien hardware? Peer-reviewed scientific papers from qualified engineers with first-hand access to alien hardware? No, don't be silly. He writes, They came mostly from ordinary people who've had personal experiences with the extraterrestrials through what is known as alien abduction. (laughs) What is known as alien abduction? I love that. Like how... I'm pretty sure... I mean, aliens are involved. Check. This is an abduction. I don't think that's that's not rhetoric. That's not, you know, a euphemism that they're abducting people. So I think I don't think we need to have these like, you know, kind of weasel words in there. For me, this is what is so interesting about this book. You read there's lots of cool diagrams. There's lots of like formulas and stuff that I can barely understand. And this is the source of the information is abduction. Yeah, that's yeah. It's the backbone. The backbone. Yeah, this is. Um, obviously the best way to ascertain such knowledge. So we're going to focus a bit on a certain episode known as the Andreessen Affair, which Potter spends a lot of time talking about. A New England woman named Betty Andreessen, now Betty Luca, claims to have had a litany of otherworldly experiences throughout her life. Unlike the majority of alien abduction reports, which mostly consists of metal dildos getting shoved up people's asses, Ah. this particular episode was a close encounter of a more benign kind. As Potter says... If the reader is aware of the usual procedures of physical inspection carried out by extraterrestrials on all abductees, with regard to the medical examinations and painful procedures administered with little apparent care toward the abductee's pain threshold, all of which have led to no apparent reward, then compared to every other mortal taken by these aliens, Betty was for the most part given the royal tour. (laughs) The royal tour. I didn't know the aliens were monarchists. (laughs) I, I didn't realize that. Um, I do like, yeah, like the royal tour is you show up um, at another planet and it's like celestial Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> you, get out of, you get out of the UFO, they have your face everywhere and you just drive up to the Ritz Carlton, your face is on the Ritz Carlton. You're just getting, you, they give you the glowing orb thing, right? Remember that? Yep. Like, so that then the, glo- the, the yeah. glowing orb. And speaking of uh, celestial Saudi Arabia, this is very uh, current because the princess of dubai is missing Uh-oh. i don't know if you've all heard this she tried to escape and she couldn't I oh my really? i think she was probably i mean they say that kind of the dubai royal family found her a week after she tried to escape the united arab emirates i'm gonna say i think it's a, a royal abduction i think yep. it's a i think they got the aliens involved so. yep the oh yep. it all makes sense now yeah. i was about yeah. to say that sounds like fake news but now that you mentioned that it totally makes sense In fact, why was Betty selected for such a privileged position among Earth apes? Well, first off, Potter contends, this was basically because what normally would scare the shit out of somebody didn't really seem to phase her much. (laughs) But there's a further reason, Potter gives. As he wrote, I think another reason also was their trust in Betty to accurately recall and to portray into drawings the strange scenes she experienced for the benefit of others as is evidenced in this study, which features some of those drawings. 
Her first published experience, although not Betty's first chronological experience, of the little greys entering into her house and into her life tells the reader of a group of greys shuffling through a door of her house. In fact, quite literally shuffling through Betty's closed door, as if they entered from some parallel dimension. Then, in this account published in The Indreason Affair, there follows her being given the loan of a blue book by the greys which she accepted in exchange for her Bible, which the leading Gray immediately replicated into several copies and handed over to his colleagues. Yeah, because by the way, Betty Andreessen claims that these aliens are Christians. <laughs> just, oh, let's, just yeah, get that that, let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. It turns out, though, the Gray only gave her a Kelly's Blue Book, though. So, oh, so, oh, okay. But so it's, it's, the, it's the Kelly's Blue Book for used UFOs, though. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's how, that's how she was able to give so much information to, to Paul Potter. I mean, you, you, could, you can learn a lot about UFOs with that Blue Book. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's he must have. I also, I love this explanation for why, why didn't, you know, they usually go for a kind of medical torture that would make Mangala blush. Why didn't they do that? Oh, they thought, you know, she could, she was smart enough to like, you know, relay the message and of draw and a better and people. a good drawer too. She could draw. Yeah, she was good a artist. good drawer. And that's why they didn't torture her with obscene <laughs> medical interventions. So that's, that's something, that's something abductees can learn. You know, Hey, if you're haunted by um, recurrent alien abductions, just develop a new skill, learn to write. Yeah, it's inspirational. Learn, learn it's to motivation. Draw, learn to code. Maybe the aliens will be, you know, easier on you. They'll shove less, <laughs> less things up your ass, you know? All right. So, how were these recollections of Betty's experiences recorded, you may ask? Through hypnotherapy, of course. As major hypnotherapy proponent Carl Sagan put in his book Demon Haunted World, hypnosis is an unreliable way to refresh memory. It often elicits imagination, fantasy, and play, as well as true recollections, with neither patient nor therapist able to distinguish one from the other. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Did I say proponent? I made a mistake. I meant opponent. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, does a Potter mention Sagan in this book? I don't know if that's later in later chapters, I think. He briefly talks about the movie Contact and Hilda built that transport machine for Jodie Foster's character. Remember the rings? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good times. And it like know? fell through and everyone thought, oh, this right. is baloney. Like, oh, and it just it was just a second that went by. Yeah, but there was 18 hours of static on the <laughs> film. Contact is the uh, 2001 Space Odyssey for dummies. That's, that's, the, way I re- that's the way I refer to it. So if you don't want to sit through 2001 Space Odyssey, if you want the ADD spoon-fed version, I I highly suggest Contact. Also, I want to kind of, you know, thinking back to Carl Sagan kind of, you know, being skeptical of this. He does say it often elicits imagination, fantasy and such. And so, you know, we got that often in there so we can wiggle around like, well, 99% of the time it does, but we've got the right stuff here. We're getting the straight juice here. Yeah, you know, most of the time when there's uh, hypno-regression memories of uh, like satanic ritual abuse, most of the time it's not true. But once in a while, there's some weird cult out there that really does do this kind of stuff. So you never know. Yeah, yeah. Also, the um, her hypnotherapist, I believe his name is Fowler. And I believe he was the one who kind of, I don't know if he co-wrote it with uh, Betty Andreessen, um, but the, the original Andreessen Affair, mm. which made this abduction story kind of famous. And I, he was the hypnotherapist, but he also, if I'm not mistaken, came to believe that he himself was also abducted 
It's actually interesting you say that because in uh, Demon Haunted World, I think the part when he's talking about hypnotherapy, he talks about how false memories can be implanted not only in the person receiving the treatment, but also the the person administering the the session. He even talks about how um, some people will have delusions that are implanted through hypnotherapy and then someone else just by being around that person and then going on under the hypnotherapy starts to develop the same memories as that person, even though there's, oh, wow. there's no basis to any of it. There was actually, it was really terrible. One guy wow. in the book, uh, Demon Haunted World, he reports on, if I remember correctly, he became convinced that he was involved in satanic ritual abuse and was like raping his daughter and all kinds of stuff. And it would turn out to, you know, not be, not be true at all, Jesus. but he ended up believing it just because of uh, how unreliable that method is. So anyway, there's an aside. So th- this shows you how reliable this method is for getting alien hardware <laughs> specifications, obviously. So getting back to the book, after introducing Betty's pivotal role in the making of the book, Potter comes out himself as an abductee. He claims he was abducted by aliens for the first time at age seven, the same age that Betty says her abduction experiences began. So hey, Dylan, Brent, I've known you guys a long time, but do you guys need to uh, come out now as abductees by any chance? Yes. Mm. Yes. Oh, um, oh, oh this yes, is new Dylan, information. I'm sorry. I abducted you as a child. Yeah, I abducted you as a child, Dylan, and I am an alien. So, and and, and now you've all viewed my selfie. I have framed in my recording studio room here of me in front of the World Trade Center on 9-11. So that's something that- <laughs> With the rep- Oh, oh my Lord. <laughs> you have, to, have you mentioned this already on the podcast? No. This yeah, is you gotta new let them information. Know. I'm just gonna- You gotta let them know about yeah, the picture. there's a picture on our Instagram. Wow. Oh, it's on. Oh, so it's Maybe we didn't. Oh, okay, okay. But that's, it. yeah. It's got um, a reptilian it's standing in front be. of the World Trade Center. It's because they were the ones that blew it up. Yeah, there it is. Oh, well, we know. Oh, we okay. know now. I was so stunted by my naivete that I didn't realize that lizard was a picture of you. I didn't even make that connection. I took the selfie. I never had it painted. I'll just never get hypnotized, and then I could just forget you ever said any of that. And <laughs> could just go on. Because it seems to have a very negative effect on people's lives. When they go through this. So I'm just going to, you didn't say anything and we can just move right on. <laughs> All right, then. So we're going to move on. Let me on say to something the... real quick. Can we get a story of aliens that are actually abducted by other aliens? Is that something we can dive oh. into? <laughs> actually, that would be a great, a great movie. And then it's like how child abuse kind of goes on in families. <laughs> and the reason that they do it is because some other alien species abducted them. And yes. so they're perpetuating the cycle right. of abuse. Abduction. We need to write that script and send it to Hollywood. (laughs) Meta alien abduction. Anyway, I like it. (laughs) Exactly. So Potter then gives examples of alien technologies Betty came across, starting with a pair of shoes the aliens had her wear. Potter writes, What I think is being depicted here has to do with how sound waves can be turned into lights and ultraviolet energies. Sonoluminescence, or sonoluminescence, as in the findings of Seth Putterman and others, is a way in which a bubble of gas and a watery fluid can focus and amplify acoustic wave energy a trillionfold to produce short flashes of light in the visible light band and near UV band of the electromagnetic spectrum. So for those listening, uh, you can visit www.nondarecallordinary.com and we'll have a picture of the shoes Betty describes. <laughs> anyway, now that we know Absolutely. what Potter thinks is being depicted, what would you guys say? I think they look like highly impractical mix of ice skates and disco shoes, which is which is in stark contrast to what Potter said. I was going to say they actually I think they look like Nike Air Extremes. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I think we already have the shoe technology because I've seen those annoying kids that the parents put on leashes that run around <laughs> jumping, hopping with those sliding <laughs> shoes. 
Oh. And I'm like, you know what? When I see them, I'm like, never have a child. Okay, I will never. <laughs> I used to have those light up shoes. When you step, it lights up. Yeah. I think they kind of remind me of the moon. You remember the moon shoe? I've talked with Kelsey about moon shoes. Apparently, they mean something different in the Midwest. Is that how I'm Michael like, Jackson did it? No, he didn't have the special. They were like they were like shoe size trampolines, and I'm pretty sure they advertised them heavily on Nickelodeon. And you wore them, and you could walk like you're on the moon. Apparently. Wow. Oh, that that's triggering a memory. I mean, this might be a false memory from your. Oh hypnosis, no. Uh, <laughs> your your hypnosis tactic there, but. I feel like I feel like I've seen that before. Huh. Yeah, we'll also we'll throw a picture up on there and let uh and let the listeners decide if they are an <laughs> accurate representation. Yes, tell us what you think they look like. All right. So Potter says the shoes are just the tip of the iceberg in such other equally rich source material. Material which he contends should put Earth scientists to shame in the galactic tech race. Quote Betty Luca, in the booklet she published of scientific notes she received from the extraterrestrials, there's a whole electric power generator schematic for a Sonofusion-style turbine. Whoa, sorry, I got excited for a minute. I thought you said schismatic. No, no, so. the aliens are not schismatics. They're in line with the Roman Catholic Church. But, okay. you know, with I all... Figured. They're all Christians. Yeah, so. with all the schisming going on in the set of a contest world, they could have used an electric-powered schism generator. So they could have, you know, <laughs> they could have, you know, offshored some of their schisming. <laughs> Anyway, Potter says, which is perfectly understandable and reproducible. So obviously, this is an area where the Earth scientists have been dragging their feet somewhat, but where the extraterrestrials have seen its worth. <laughs> they wouldn't be dragging their feet so much if they weren't wearing those special alien glass shoes. And even if they couldn't afford those, just get those moon shoes I was talking about. You're not dragging yeah. your feet with those. But anyway, guys, that's that's not the only thing that's obvious. Potter, mo- uh, Potter details some more of Betty's confabulation. I mean, experiences, sorry. As she moves further into the depths of the unknown. Quote, Betty says she had to pass through both a red and a green environment on her way to this UV frequency world or crystal forest, as Betty called it. This suggests her physical senses were hyper-tuned into a higher frequency through graduated steps. First into the red frequency, and then into the green frequency. This pre-organizing was obviously because the ETs wanted Betty to experience quite a different life-sustaining environment, different from what she was used to on Earth. I think, you know, just to be serious for one second, Crystal Forest, excellent band name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potter confesses, despite so much of this being obvious, that not everything is so. As he writes... The reason why the E.T. should go to all this trouble in these episodes is not wholly clear to the author. <laughs> and even and even though I can offer here a few suggestions as to why the E.T.'s gave Betty such a strange environment and such a cornucopia of strange experiences, for the true implications to present themselves about this environment, there will need to be a little more input added to them. And this input may come from the E.T.'s at a later date, perhaps. If she was put into a teal and orange environment, I would just say she's in a new movie, but that's... <laughs> oh, um, a little, you know, a little, little cinematic... A uh, little jab. I guess we can do that. For See, like- that's how we would have known that this was actually a true depiction of perhaps future humans, because I know that's a... <laughs> a view people have about extraterrestrials is that they're actually future evolved humans. And if it was a teal and orange environment, we would know she was right. Mm-hmm. She obviously was spot on about. <laughs> Wait, we, we, we better let the audience in on uh, the, the whole. Yeah. I, I think Forrest would have a better, uh, you know, a better yeah. way of describing it. Yeah. So if you go watch movies these days, it's not as uh, prominent as it was, but if, if you go watch a modern film, it's very l- possible that, it'll be in this orange teal color palette where the background is 
all teal and the people have orange skin. And it's something that, yeah, it's, it's a weird color grading um, trend that's been going on the last few years. And the idea behind it is that the orange makes makes the skin pop from the background. But I think it looks, you know, hideous. So I always complain about it. Yeah, just imagine if Donald Trump pulled a Kim Jong-il and kidnapped movie makers to make movies for him. It's what <laughs> they, they would all look like him. I want all of my movies in orange. Everybody's orange. It'll be great. Also, is the new is the new Willy Wonka then when they show the Oompa Loompas just like so bright orange? They're just like, ah. Yeah, they have to like give an epilepsy warning now for the new uh, Willy Wonka movie. <laughs> the extra orange deal. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So. Betty was quite the artist. There's a lot of cool drawings she makes that look like something out of Alex Gray's work after he'd been strung out on mushrooms, LSD, and DMT all at once for over a month straight. So a Monday then. Well, I mean a month, so like 30 Mondays in a row. (laughs) Right, just a normal month. (laughs) By the way, for the record, I did DMT once and it was really boring. And no one believes my boring DMT story, but yeah, it wasn't very fun. I believe it. You know why I believe it? We've talked about this before that, I mean, I've never read anything interesting anyone's ever said after they come back from DMT. Like, not like philosophically interesting because they all come back saying, I've learned the secrets of the universe. And you're like, well, and what are those? And there's just nothing. But it, well, I was told it was a spirit molecule. I'm sorry. Hello. (laughs) I was told by somebody. Just kidding. Yeah. Everything just for me looked really flat and really geometrical. Like that's kind of, and it looked... It looks like everything, so as opposed to everything kind of looking like separate objects, it just looked like everything was kind of blending together in one angular like painting. (laughs) And then I started coughing, but I realized I was vomiting. And so then I vomited and then it was over. Just fell into a cubist painting. The problem is you didn't find the chrysanthemum. You're right. Float towards it and find the self-transforming machine elves. Yeah, I think that the main your, problem is I was problem. hanging out with a bunch of dirty hippies. You didn't find. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't do enough. Yeah, that could be. You didn't do, do didn't do enough. That, yeah, that That's could be the it. problem. So, for, for speaking of psychedelics, for one notably psychedelic illustration, Potter gives his erudite commentary. Quote: Notice the featureless beings in these scenes. Betty has seen them before and has drawn them before. They were the same featureless beings she watched playing games on board a mothership when she herself was out of body watching them. How does one watch something without eyes since you're out of body? I'm just asking for uh, spirit eyes. You use your spirit eyes. It's okay. Thank you. Thank you. I was curious. <laughs> spirit eyes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because he even goes on. They are not so much bodies as more like spiritual essences. Oh, okay. Okay. Also, never mind. You know, not call learning. We need to make a uh, perfume for our listeners and it should be called spiritual essences with a little gray guy on the bottle. Little gray guy. I think our first perfume should be called material accidents. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually prefer aged and enraged for men. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that would that would sell so well on the Alex Jones Infowars website. Yes, it would. The incel community. <laughs> Alex Jones, we got here the caveman formula, age and rage for men. <laughs> caveman formula. <laughs> One thing to uh, note real quick, interesting about the drawings of the featureless aliens is because when she was, I mean, her abduction experience was 1967, I believe. And well, no, it's, they go back to when she was seven. That's when she started having the main experiences that she derived her uh, story from, I think. But it's not. But I, I think the I think at first she first kind of went public in 1967. That's what that I mean. was yeah. her first yeah. foray. And what's interesting is that her original drawings of the aliens were not the kind of typical gray that we're used to. They actually. So, for example, their eyes had pupils. And they looked more like a regular eye. And then over time, it was actually after Close Encounters that she started drawing them exactly like the beings in Close Encounters. Yeah. 
maybe she just got new hypnotherapy information. You know, I don't know. I don't want to bemoan those drawings, but I just interesting little tidbit. Yeah, yeah, interesting tidbit. No, it's Wait, funny. Did they have clothes on too? Weren't they clothed? Yeah, I think uh, they, they also have. They also have like belts yeah. and the little like shoulder bands too. Yeah, so which is great. They're styling. So I'm um, getting back to what Potter was saying. Betty describes these featureless beings. I like how, how can you describe something that has no features? But anyway, Betty describes <laughs> these featureless beings as light forms. And I would recognize these light forms as being like the spirit or divine essence of a being. These light forms can be perceived when a person was undergoing an out-of-body experience, or perhaps if their physical body was ramped up into a higher vibrational frequency, which is the sort of thing Eastern mystics and adepts of Buddhism can do to reach higher levels of perception. The latter point may be seen to be all the more important when one considers that on previous occasions, when Betty has been the guest of the Greys and the Elders, her spiritual essences has been made to leave her body so that she herself may accompany those Greys or those Elders. But on this occasion, both Betty and the little Grey which accompanied her, obviously, <laughs> remained in their physical bodies. Mm. Hmm. One wonders why. If this is all so obvious, Potter goes into such great detail in spelling it out for us. Any ideas? Uh, he dabbles in the age-old <laughs> art of bullshittery. I don't know. That's Ooh, that ooh, might be right. Too. I think he just, again, I think he thinks we're all dumb and that we just really need this stuff spelled out. Um, we're below the level of obviousness. Um, also, just a little, uh, a little tidbit. If you're really interested in accessing a higher vibrational frequency, I'd recommend our previous crystal healing episodes oh, to learn yes. all about how to get in touch with your higher frequencies. <laughs> and for um, pets too. And pets, yeah, definitely. You can definitely. I think Lewis, Lewis might not be so keen on it now that he's a bishop. Uh, but I think I still think he could use it. Also, to force Shadow a little more into the future, we are going to be speaking coming in the upcoming episodes of a little bit more about crystals. So Ooh. quartz is involved. Ooh, uh, crystals, they're everywhere. Yeah, they power things. Continuing, Potter brings up a certain Dana Redfield quote. Another author who has also researched the alien abduction phenomena and has progressed to a level which can fully understand that there might be a benign link between extraterrestrials and humans. In Dana's quest to find out more about why the ETs are now here, she began recording hundreds of communications from evolved beings, which seem to be ethereal or spiritual beings, just as much as they might be described as extraterrestrials. So, hey, guys, did I miss something? Are there beings that are not evolved? Yeah, every living being. I mean, that's what I was taught <laughs> in my science classes in my evangelical Christian school growing up. So I still believe that, obviously. Well, I mean, I think these were, what is it, micro? I think these were micro evolved beings as opposed oh, to right. macro. That's true. Yeah, it's, that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Once you, yeah. it's kinds, it's divided up by kinds. You can micro evolve within the kinds, guys. So, that makes sense. And fine. they're so tiny that you have to be out of body. Otherwise, there's just no way to perceive them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's starting to make sense now. So Potter goes on to write, At one point, Betty's hypnotic sessions were attended by some very learned scientific investigators whom, through the course of those sessions, would suddenly become very animated about what mechanisms Betty was describing. Obviously, they were scientists at the top of their field and at the cutting edge of the most up-to-date research projects and they were fishing for clues about technologies they'd heard about and UFOs but couldn't understand. 
And so, well, fellas, I tell you, I was extremely curious to know what these, who these obviously amazing scientists were. And it just so happens that Potter gave a source note within that very paragraph. So I flipped to the back of the book, looked up note 15 for chapter one, and with sweaty palms and heart in my throat, read the note with great anticipation and excitement. And it said nothing about that. Oh. It had some irrelevant <laughs> aside about how Betty's experiences were supposedly used as an inspiration for Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So you can imagine my disappointment. Oh, man. That's a great use of the note system there. I like that. It's This is why footnotes are just far superior to endnotes. <laughs> then you wouldn't have this whole, you know, you wouldn't get all worked up. You would immediately know that this might not have been the best source, but instead you got to flip and it's a big book, you know, it's several hundred pages. So it took a lot of work well, to get to the it, end. It made, it made me wonder how many more of the notes that had nothing to do with what you're actually reading. No, it's just this one. You would think all these learned scientists, I wanted to find out who they were. And I was very upset when I, when there was nothing. So during these hypnosis sessions, recollections of Betty's experiences weren't only derived from memories. So there's that. Well, hypnosis, the true backbone of engineering. We all know that. Yeah. So. You know, I, I, I hate to be a flip flopper on this podcast. I think I'm going to go. I'm going <laughs> to take away my anti hypnosis stance again, because maybe <laughs> this is how I'm going to finish my dissertation. <laughs> you know, I mean, th these engineers are learning so much from Betty. Maybe this is how I got to do it. Just write it in my sleep. So as Potter claims. Throughout many of her hypnotic regressions, Betty was known to bring forth scientific formulae, sometimes from her recollections of being with the E.T. scientists, and sometimes these formulae came direct from the E.T.s themselves, or by them using Betty's voice box while her body was in a hypnotic trance, a known phenomena in spiritualist channeling and psychic communication procedures. These formulae coming through Betty would mostly be in riddles, Understandable only to those who already had peripheral knowledge of that particular science. The science of riddles. The ETs have very strong reservations, it seems, against handing out concepts about their sciences to those who live by greed. In all cap locks, or in all, I'm sorry, in all caps, by the way, greed. G-R-E-E-D. With little thought for the rest of mankind. Not only do we know for sure intelligent aliens exist and how their spacecraft works in every single detail, but we know alien pet peeves. I think Potter's onto something here. Oh yeah, we know about alien phobias. We know about, you know, all about the alien ne'er-do-wells and all the things that they just don't like or dislike. I also, you know, I think Potter is onto something here. I think we should, from now on, Science by Buddhist Cohen. I think that's really... <laughs> I think that's going to really lead to because obviously our unevolved minds, we just can't understand this book. But once we, you know, start meditating and kind of getting those koans into us, just break, break the text apart into that form. I like it. I think we're going to get somewhere. And can we talk about these scientists that live by greed? I mean, come on, guys. You would know. Yeah. Well, that's what I do. It's greed. It's pretty much just getting paid. Yeah. I mean, the, the greed eating, that you, you bring food. to this podcast is clearly, <laughs> I mean, just stacking paper all day. Okay. So. For any bright audience member listening in, maybe you don't think hypnotherapy is a reliable way to recall and receive complex alien mathematical formulae. If you're one of, if you're one of those eggheads, then you might require something like photographic evidence. Aha, you may say. Yep. You mean those blurry photographs that can't be discerned as anything? Hold your horses, partner. Potter cautions us uh, not to discount such photos. Speaking of UFOs in action, he writes... It will either have a fairly visible glow of air or a gyrating flow of electrically charged particles surrounding it. Or it will be encased inside an energy envelope that pulses with colored light emissions. These light wave emissions, though, will not 
necessarily follow the exact route of the UFO propulsion energies. Merely, uh, will they be ejected from those propulsion energies where those energies turn through a sharp curve, as will happen around a UFO's perimeter rim. The propulsion energy goes one way, and the photons it generates through a process called curvature radiation will go another way. In turn, those colored light emissions would be affected by refraction as they pass through the rotating medium surrounding that UFO, and while that wall of vibrant energy will refract different light colors into different directions, then it would seem to me that whatever the whatever image was projected of that craft through all that deflection would only be apparent as a fuzzy and distorted one. So a photograph that purports to be of an extraterrestrial UFO which shows the craft's contours is crystal clear are most probably fakes. And I can... <laughs> I can hereby coin what I shall call the Potter Law of Evaluating Evidence for Proposed Candidates of Otherworldly Aircraft, which runs thus. <laughs> the blurrier the photo, the more credible it is. So that's that's the first law. I think, yeah, I think that's right. You know, I don't have any Photoshop skills. I don't have any skills with kind of evaluating photographic evidence, but now I do. If I can see it, I can't see it. You get, <laughs> oh, there's a koan for you. Uh, so, uh, there's a real When I was reading that, I felt... Man, is this book just a big troll like maneuver? Like, but then I thought I thought to myself, there's no way because there's no way you could get that much energy to write something like this just to be a troll. He at least found all these references. I'm not saying he read them all, but even just finding them all. And this was originally written in 2008 before social media. So, I mean, he clearly didn't tap into that source of concrete reality. <laughs> Yeah. So if it is, he's real uh, dedicated. And it should also be noted that Betty Andreasen Luca did write the foreword to this book. So mm. if he is a con man, he conned her too, which is just <laughs> despicable. <laughs> yes, it would be. All right. And now that Potter has firmly established the existence of extraterrestrial aircraft and its means of exacting knowledge of their intricate designs, you're just going to have to wait till the next episode to find out more. All right. Yeah, that's it, because we we are done for our first episode in our series on Paul Potter's anti-gravity propulsion dynamics, UFOs, and gravitational manipulation. So, Brent, Forrest, what did you learn in this today's episode? What most intrigued you about Paul Potter's exploits in alien UFO engineering? <laughs> I would say for me, the impressive nature of the most identified, unidentified flying object was very, very nice. Um, <laughs> uh, well, actually, coming going forward, we're going to see a lot more. My eyes got a little glazed over. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> I don't know mathematics this kind of way. And so we're going into like chapter three and four later, but this episode just setting the groundwork. It's good stuff. Anti-gravity. Yeah. We got to know where he gets his sources from. Right. That's the kind of thing we are actually in some way qualified to talk about. True. What about you, Forrest? Yeah, if what? I learned anything, it would be that my own self-aggrandizing egotism and dilettante ignorance actually is in proportion with my non-constructive way of uh, talking about this, I guess. Obviously. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So that's the way I would put it. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Dylan? I mean, for me, the I, the I really love that last bit about how you identify authentic UFO pictures are the ones that are kind of worthless. <laughs> and all the ones that show something clearly are fakes. I, that's just that's incredible. I wish I wish he went more into the kind of the Christian stuff. Yeah. To be honest about it. I, that's what interests me, because it's the hallmark of the kind of Andreasen abduction is how weirdly benign and Christian is at the same time. 
I mean, because there is, he talks about, you know, there's the spiritual beings and the divine essence and all that kind of stuff. But I wish, you know, I wish he was admitting that really this is a revelation. Like, that's what this is. Benny Andreasen yeah. is a prophet. Yeah, I was I, I was wondering, I was I, I wanted to read the actual account because I want to know when the aliens replicated all the Bibles. I want to know. Wait, were you saying that you read that the extraterrestrials were actually Christians? Yeah, there was a, or they were like into it, like because I think she asked them, like, are you with Christ? Are you kind of in league with him? And they were like, oh, yeah. Mm. So if it's like if you're going to get into theology and metaphysics for a second, like, can you be a Christian but have never had access to the Bible before? No. Uh, well, if you have the presence of the Holy Spirit within you, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I think you can. So the aliens, oh, yeah. you've seen an apparition. Let's just say if you've seen a Mary apparition, you're in. Yeah, if you've seen a Mary apparition, given. here, you know who you know who didn't have access to a Bible? Jesus Christ <laughs> and the apostles. Oh, that's actually a very good argument. I, I got to say. Jesus and his apostles, though, like knew all about the blood sacrifice. So, but what about the uh, aliens? I mean, they never knew that Jesus was, you know, nailed to the cross. So how do they know that their sins have been redeemed? Yeah, I'm going to, I think Brent was right okay. with that. I think Marian apparition. <laughs> I think they're all Palmarians. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going with. So that, uh, that wraps up this episode. So if you want to, uh, you know, you've already subscribed. I hope you're listening to the podcast. But if you want to get access to sources, if you want to get links to our YouTube channel and all that kind of fun stuff, you could just uh, check out our website. And that is none dare call it ordinary There you can also find a link to Forrest's new stop motion adaptation of a Franz Kafka story, The Burrow, which will be very exciting. And if you want to uh, chat with us and ask us, you know, any questions about, you know, Paul Potter and if we're actually as a podcast going to get together and build this UFO in our garage with Paul Potter very explicitly says not to do. Um, if you think we should do it, you know, maybe do you think Paul Potter is wrong? Maybe, you know, he's his formula are slightly off. Uh, just shoot us an email. None dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. And with that, we are done. Don't build a UFO. <laughs> I do like how you brought that up. I totally forgot about that.